Episode number 41 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I am your host, John Chick. That song that you are hearing once again by our good friends in Pacifier, that is Leave the Lights On off their 2009 album, Everyone on Every Night. And the Rangers, again, coming off of a tough 5-2 loss at home against the Nashville Predators, a game where really the final score not at all indicative of how the game went. Uh, first of all, the Predators got two empty net goals, so that obviously skews the final score in their favor more than it really should be. But more importantly, the Rangers, for the most part, played, I thought, a very strong game. Uh, on the whole, I do think the Rangers had the better of play than the Predators in this contest. The Rangers outshot the Predators 41-24, to and really, anytime Nashville scored a goal in this game, it kind of seemed like it was one of those quick strike out of nowhere I don't want to say fluky type goals, but it was a situation where, you know, the Rangers would like, you know, have a sustained offensive push and keep the puck pinned on Nashville's side of the ice. And then all of a sudden it would kind of go the other way and the Predators would score a goal. And the Rangers just didn't have any puck luck. They hit the post at least the one time. You know, there was a play where I believe it was Brady Shea shot from the blue line. Artemi Panarin is in front and he deflects the puck and it just clangs off the post. One of those plays where, you know, Nashville had no chance of keeping this puck from going in. UC Saros played a great game, but he was moving in completely the wrong direction on this play. He was moving to his left. The puck got deflected back to his right. He had absolutely no chance to stop this and just kind of got bailed out by the iron. And yes, UC Saros was very, very good in this game. He comes up with 39 saves on 41 shots, many of them of the high-quality variety. And really coming into this game, UC Saros and Pekka Rene both struggling for the Predators, but you wouldn't know it watching this game because UC Saros, as we said, was very, very good for Nashville. Really probably the biggest reason that they won this game, came up with a lot of really tough saves and kept the puck out of the net for the most part against the Rangers. So unfortunately, uh, another case of just bad luck for the Rangers because Saros to to this point in the season had not played well at all, but he found kind of just the wrong night to uh, kind of bring his A game, and that's what he did. And unfortunately, the Rangers paid the price. They just, like I said, it was... They had a lot of opportunities, the Rangers did. It's one of those games where I think the Blue Shirts deserved a better fate. This was a game that had good pace and good energy right off the bat, and I do think the Rangers had the better of play, but just one of those nights where the Rangers unable to finish their opportunities, and UC Saros a big part in that. And we're going to talk about the loss in Nashville in greater detail in just a couple of minutes here, but there were a couple things I wanted to Run through real quick here at the top of the show, starting with the trade of Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall, of course, being sent from the New Jersey Devils to the Arizona Coyotes. The Coyotes also get Blake Spears from the Devils, and the Devils receive Arizona's 2020 first-round draft choice, a conditional first-round draft choice, Arizona's 2021 third-round draft choice, also conditional, as well as prospects Nick Merkley, Nate Schnarr, and Kevin Ball. And the Devils will retain 50% of Hall's salary. Now, for all the dysfunction in New Jersey this season, Hall still having a decent season. I mean, six goals is not a lot for Taylor Hall after 30 games, but he does have the 19 assists. So he has 25 points in 30 games, not too far off of the point-per-game pace. But this is a big acquisition, obviously, for the Coyotes. It's a team that, 
you know, for a long time has has struggled to basically even be relevant. They are not often in the playoffs and obviously kind of pushing their chips in here, going all out, getting Taylor Hall. And from what I understand, Taylor Hall, it looks like is open to a contract extension with the Arizona Coyotes. It sounds like he never got close to any kind of an extension with the New Jersey Devils. He, of course, will be a free agent after the season if no extension is reached with his new team in Arizona. But bottom line, it just never really seemed like Taylor Hall was going to entertain any ideas of staying with the Devils long term. And obviously part of that is just the complete lack of success in New Jersey. It's funny, the Rangers played a game against the Devils in the Prudential Center a little bit earlier this season, and the Rangers really just ran the Devils out of their own building. And Ranger fans, you know, there's obviously going to be a solid contingent of Ranger fans in New Jersey anytime the Rangers play the Devils there. But the Ranger fans toward the end of that game were chanting, Taylor's leaving. The Ranger fans hit the mark there, and now, of course, Taylor Hall with the Coyotes. And it'll be interesting to see how this how this works going forward because... The Coyotes are having a very good season. They have played 36 games. They are 20-12-4. That's good for 44 points. Third best in the Western Conference behind just the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. And they are on top of the Pacific Division. And a move like this, man, this, this could be the kind of thing that kind of pushes them all in and really puts them over the top in that division because right behind them in the Pacific are the Vegas Knights. They are just a point back with 43 points and the Edmonton Oilers right behind them with 42 points. So you add a Taylor Hall and all of a sudden I think it kind of makes you the favorite. If you weren't already the favorite, I think now you become the favorite as far as winning that division is concerned. And then obviously it all comes down to what you do in the playoffs as well. So the Coyotes, they give up a big haul here, but not really a crazy haul or an outlandish haul or like, you know, too much for a player of Taylor Hall's caliber. The Coyotes went out and they got their man and they were bold and they made a move here. And obviously, you know, a lot of teams were interested in acquiring Taylor Hall. It's the Coyotes who get it done. Now, as far as the Rangers go, I suppose this is also good news because at the very least, you no longer have to see Taylor Hall this season. The Rangers played the Coyotes earlier in the season, so they'll see him just one more time this year. But he's out of the Eastern Conference. He's out of the Metropolitan Division, so I suppose that is a small win. But yeah, for whatever reason, you know, it just never quite came together for Taylor Hall in New Jersey. I mean, he had some good seasons. His 27-2018 season was excellent. That was his second year there. But he came over, obviously, via a trade with the Edmonton Oilers. And in 2016-17, in 72 games, 53 points for Taylor Hall. 2017-2018 is by far, as we said, his best season with the Devils. He skated in 76 games, 39 goals, and 54 assists for a total of 93 points. But then last season, he only plays in 33 games, 11 goals, 26 assists. That is 37 points. And as we said so far this season, despite a tumultuous season in New Jersey, he is almost near the point-per-game uh, pace, six goals, and 19 assists. But man, six goals in, in 30 games, that's just not enough for a guy like Taylor Hall. And... In his first game with Arizona last night, he picks up his first assist, his first point as a member of the Coyotes. But yeah, obviously the Devils just having an absolutely miserable season. It's a season where absolutely nothing has gone right for them. They've had a coaching change. P.K. Subban has just disappeared. And now Taylor Hall, the writing has been on the wall here for a long time. He is gone and just really a lost season in New Jersey for the Devils. Just wanted to take a minute to let you guys know that today's Locked On podcast is sponsored by Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to Breaking Tea, that's T, the letter T, breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. Great for all fans, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on, and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. 
Again, breaking tea, just the letter T, breakingtea.com slash locked on. The other big news coming out of this game, I thought, was Capo Caco being moved down to the fourth line. He's out there on the right wing with Brett Howden at center and Brendan Smith at left wing. We'll talk about that in just a second, but just to go through the other combinations, the top line, Mika Zibanejad centering Chris Kreider and Jesper Foss. On the second line, you've got Ryan Strom with Artemi Panarin and Brendan Lemieux. And on the third line, Philip Hedl flanked by Greg McKay and Pavel Buchnevich. Now, with Caco. I'm not really a big fan of this, basically for the same reasons that I wasn't a fan when the Rangers tossed Elias Anderson out of the fourth line. Obviously, that was before sending him down to Hartford. But with Anderson, it was a little different because he was never really given a chance to play anywhere else besides the fourth line. Kako has been given opportunities. He's been on the same line as Artemi Panarin, and he's been on the same line as Mika Zibanejad, and he's played with Chris Kreider, and he's played with Pavel Buchnevich and Ryan Stroman, Brennan Lemieux, and pretty much everyone who can be considered a a scoring threat on the Rangers. He's been on the top power play unit. He's gotten a solid amount of ice time here in his rookie season. Bottom line, Kako, he's just in a slump right now, and it's okay. You know, he's inexperienced. It's his first taste of NHL action, but there are times we've talked about all these things where Kako clearly holds onto the puck for too long, and far too often he passes when he should shoot. He just doesn't pull the trigger for whatever reason. And so, yeah, I'm not enamored with this move just because I don't think that dropping Kako down to the fourth line is really a way to get him going and break him out of his slump. But at the same time, I do understand this move because he's had some chances. And recently, as we said, you know, he's just slumping. It is what it is. Every player, even the best players in this league, they go through slumps from time to time. So I'm okay with this move overall as long as it isn't permanent. If this is just for a game or two or maybe even three or four games, then okay, you know, no problem. The Rangers, they have to win some games. They've lost two in a row now, and, you know, every game is precious when you're chasing a playoff spot, and right now the Rangers on the outside looking in, and at this very moment, you could make the argument, based on how everybody is playing right now, that there are other wingers who are just flat out playing better than Kako and would give the Rangers a better chance to win than Kako does right at this moment. So I'm not going to attack Coach Quinn for this. Kako's career is not going to be, you know, in ruins just because of this one move. And as long as this is not a permanent move, I think it's okay to quote-unquote demote Kako for a few games. But you can't leave him there for the long term or else it's really just Leas Anderson all over again. So we will keep an eye on how the Rangers continue to deploy Kako going forward. And who knows, you know, maybe it's just for one game. We'll see how the Rangers line up when they take on the Maple Leafs on Friday. Good news for Kako is that he's still out there on the top power play unit, so he's still getting some ice time, you know, with Kreider and Panarin and, you know, D'Angelo's out there, and, you know, he's going to get some opportunities. Like I said, I do not think that this is a long-term move. It would not stun me to see Kako back out there on the fourth line again on Friday, but eventually, I believe he'll work his way back up, you know, into the top six or at least the top nine, and he'll be out there with guys you know, who can score and guys who are good for him to play alongside of and guys who, you know, hopefully with Kako out there can lead to some goals. So again, we'll keep an eye on this going forward. But, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the move because I I don't think this is the way to get Kako going. But again, if it's just for a few games, I can't fault that because Kako really, you know, hasn't really done a whole lot with his recent opportunities. But again, just 18 years old, I still believe in Kako Kako big time in the long term. I think he is going to be a big time player in this league because We've seen flashes of the talent that this guy has, and I think it's just a matter of time until he gets rolling. And like we said, if this is just a short-term move down to the fourth line, then that's okay. The other big point that I have to hit on, you know, coming out of this game, obviously it was two nights ago now, but I do have to mention the god-awful officiating that went down in this game. And 
anybody who listens to this show, you know I'm not a big fan of, you know, attacking the referees and, and you know, throwing a fit every time there's a call that doesn't go the Rangers' way. As far as criticizing the referees, I mean, I might say that, you know, oh, I think there was a penalty missed here. Or, oh, I'm not so sure that was a penalty. But I'm never really overly critical of the of the referees. Maybe one other time this, this season in this podcast's existence. But you look at this game last night, and it was just terrible. And it wasn't just terrible because, like, you know, the refs, called something a penalty that wasn't a penalty or they missed something that was a penalty. This was just egregiously inconsistent officiating. The first penalty in this game is a result of a Brennan Lemieux push to Roman Yossi. Now, Roman Yossi's a big boy. He can handle it. I know that doesn't really factor into whether it's a penalty or not, but this is ridiculous, man. Brennan Lemieux and Roman Yossi, they're two physical players. They're, they're guys that are going to, you know, fight for positioning in front of the net. And Brennan Lemieux, all he does is give Yossi a push. There was nothing malicious about this. It wasn't like a vicious cross-check. And certainly, when there's a battle for position going on in the crease, officials are more likely to kind of let it go on, kind of let the physicality happen. As long as there's nothing savage or physical, guys are allowed to push each other. Guys are allowed to kind of knock each other off balance and, you know, fight for position in prime real estate there. I mean, that's the difference between, you know, a goal being scored and a, not, and a goal not being scored. And Lemieux, all he does is just give Yossi a push, and Yossi, Yossi falls down. But to call this a penalty was ridiculous. Now, the one thing you could say is that, okay, well, now they've established, the referees have, that this is going to be a, you know, a tightly called game. So you can live with this one. I mean, this was a terrible call. I mean, if, if you're going to call this a penalty, then you can call a penalty, you know, every 15 seconds in any game in this league. But at least you could look at this and say, well, you know, the refs are going to call everything tight tonight. You know, it is what it is. If, if you if you take something that, you know, by the letter of the law, I suppose could be considered interference and you're going to put the arm up and put them in the box for two minutes, then so be it. This is going to be a tightly called game. And if, you know, if there's any kind of tripping or hooking or holding or interference or anything like that, you're going to go to the penalty box. Fine. We can live with that. So far, we can live with that. This was a bad call, but we can accept that the referees are going to call this game tight. Only they don't call it tight. Because not too long after this, there's a play where Pavel Buchnevich is along the boards, and along comes Ryan Ellis. And Ellis goes in and basically just drives his elbow right into the temple of Pavel Buchnevich and knocks him to the ice. I mean, this was a dangerous play. Buchnevich, you know, could have suffered a concussion on this. He, he ended up having to go off the ice. The spotters, you know, made him leave the game and get checked out in the training room. He came back later. But... You know, this is also a situation where I tend to give players the benefit of the doubt as far as is this a dirty play or not, because you just don't know for sure. You know, there's there's so much going on, and these players are flying all over the place. I mean, the speed of this game is just incredible, and sometimes it's hard. You know, you might look to hit somebody in the chest, and maybe your shoulder kind of rises on you, or maybe they duck down a little bit, and you end up, you know, putting a shoulder into their head. But the reason why this was a dirty play, and I can say that with pretty much, you know, no hesitation is because look at the way this happened. Buchnevich is, a, you know, not quite against the boards, but near the boards, and Ellis is approaching him from the side. Now, Buchnevich is kind of hunched over because he was playing the puck, and so his head is kind of sticking out away from his body. And when Ellis goes in to deliver this hit, there was nothing he was going to make contact with other than Buchnevich's head just from the angle that he took here. You know, this isn't a case, like we said, where, you know, he, he looked to, you know, put, put his shoulder into, you know, Buchnevich's chest or anything like that. The only thing that he was possibly going to make contact with was the side of Buchnevich's head with his elbow. Because, again, Buchnevich is in a position where he's hunched over and, you know, his head is away from his body. You know, his head is kind of positioned in front of his body instead of, you know, standing upright. And so the only contact that was going to be made here was 
Ellis crashing into the side of Buchnevich's head. Just a complete garbage hit here. And Ellis only gets the two minutes for the elbowing. And it doesn't look like he's going to be hearing from the league about this either. So I don't know, man. You know, I just, the league can be very inconsistent when it comes to this. You know, which plays result in fines, which plays result in suspensions. And obviously here, this should have been a five-minute major and a game misconduct. Just a complete dirty play on the part of Ryan Ellis driving, as we said, his elbow into the side of Pavel Buchnevich's head. And this is not long after, you know, Brennan Lemieux gets a two-minute penalty just for, you know, pushing Roman Yossi to the ice, basically. And Ryan Ellis does get a two-minute penalty here, but you're going to tell me that these two plays are on par, that the push from Brennan Lemieux and this elbow to the side of the head by Ryan Ellis are one and the same? Cut me a break. And then in the second period, another really bad call by the officials. Dante Fabro and Jesper Foss get tangled up, and Foss falls to the ice. This is all happening in front of, or really next to, the uh, the Nashville net. And Dante Fabro just starts cross-checking Jesper Foss while Foss is laying on the ice. He must have cross-checked him at least three or four times here, and then he follows up with a, a punch to the face. I mean, he's still had his glove on, but this guy is standing over Foss, and he punches him in the face. And both of these guys... Fabro and Foss end up with matching minors. Fabro goes off for roughing and Foss goes off for holding. Foss is laying on his back on the ice. What is he supposed to do? How is this holding? He's getting he's getting mauled by this guy and the refs do nothing about it. Cross check after cross check after cross check and then a, a right cross to the face. What are the referees looking at in this spot? The fact that this was matching minors is just so ridiculous, and I, I just, you're going to call Foss for holding. Now, maybe, I guess Foss maybe technically was holding Fabro's leg there, but what else are you going to do while a guy is driving his stick in, into your chest and your face and, and throwing a punch at you, you know? If you're going to call, I mean, that is the most literal holding call you will ever see. And then, we're not done yet, okay, because now... Chris Kreider, again, you know, they, now granted the referees did call a penalty for this. This is just about two minutes later. Matthias Ekholm is cross-checking Kreider in the back maliciously in front of the Nashville net, but he has to cross-check him, you know, three or four, maybe even five times before the refs finally call a penalty. And this is the same officiating crew. Again, we go back to that Brennan Lemieux play where he just kind of pushed Roman Yossi. They called him for two minutes with one push. This took four cross-checks for the referees to put their arm up, which they finally did. So I guess give them some credit for eventually getting the call right. Hey, it only took four cross-checks. I wonder what would have happened now. Say that they didn't call the penalty after the fourth fourth cross-check. Would there have been a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth and a tenth cross-check to Kreider's back? I mean, I guess if you're if you're at home in this in this situation, hey, might as well go ahead and just keep doing it. Uh, why not? What's what's there to stop you? But they do eventually call this penalty, so I guess give them a point for getting finally mercifully getting a call correct here. It only took four cross-checks. And then later in this period, this is all in the second period. Uh, every one of these penalties I'm talking about is in the second period, except for the Brennan Lemieux interference that came with less than a minute remaining in the first. But every other instance here occurred in the second period. And then finally, the referees wrap up their just spectacular period here by calling Brennan Lemieux. He gets a 10-minute game misconduct because basically he bumps into a couple of Predators on his way to the bench. Now, Lemieux, look, listen, he's going to stir the pot a little bit. He's a fiery player. He's going to agitate people. He's going to look to do things like this. But basically, he just bumped into, you know, one guy, and then he's going off. And another player on the Predators, I think it was Yossi. The, the camera angle was kind of weird. It was kind of hard to tell who it was, but I believe it was Yossi. But Yossi, as Lemieux is leaving, kind of, you know, he saw that Lemieux had bumped into his teammate. And so Yossi kind of, you know, puts his stick to the back of Lemieux's leg. And then Lemieux turns around and kind of gives him a, a quick shove as well. 
and he goes, Lemieux's gone for 10 minutes. So I don't know if between this and the other minor penalty that Lemieux got, I mean, do these referees, does this officiating crew just have it in for Brendan Lemieux? And again, I know Lemieux brings some of this on himself because he plays with so much fire, so much emotion, and he's not afraid to mix it up and, you know, kind of, as we said, stir the pot. But, I mean, to go off for 10 minutes under any circumstances is absolutely ridiculous, but especially so in a game like this where you've allowed the, the Predators to get away with murder. I mean, Ryan Ellis drove his elbow into the side of Pavel Buchnevich's head, and then you've got Dante Fabro just abusing Jesper Foss while he's down on the ice and can't defend himself, and he's driving his stick into him. And then after all that... Okay, now that one, granted, that was a two-minute penalty, but it was matching minors, which is ridiculous. And then you're not going to call anything on Ryan Ellis for his vicious elbow. But now, a little push from Brandon Lemieux, and he goes off for 10 minutes? This should not have even been a two-minute penalty. This is just guys pushing each other, man. It happens. It's hockey. It's a play stoppage. So, again, I don't know if this officiating crew just had it in for Brandon Lemieux, but just a ridiculous call here to send him off for 10 minutes, especially after you've also set a very bizarre precedence where you're not going to call anything against the Predators. It's one of those games you just throw your hands up. The referees absolutely, positively sucked in this game, and it's one of those things where I really hope that they they heard from the league as well because, hey, you know what? These players, you know, they, they hear from the league. If they, you know, have a dirty play, you know, they'll get fined or suspended, and, you know, players, they're going to hear it from us, and they're going to hear it from their coaches if they just don't perform well. These referees were god-awful in this game, so I hope that they're held to some accountability as well, and I hope that they heard from the league and they were basically told, you guys were terrible, because that is absolutely the case in this game. All right, so rant over. That's going to do it for today. Again, thanks, guys, for tuning in. We're going to be back here again with a new episode tomorrow. We are going to be, you know, talking a little bit about this and that and definitely previewing the Rangers Friday night home tilt against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's going to be a big game for the Rangers. Every game is a big game for the Rangers, especially when you're on the outside looking in for the playoff picture. But they have a chance to get another two points off of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in this brief two-game losing streak, they really got to find a way to come away with a win on Friday night. So again, that'll do it for today, guys. Once again, thanks for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. And definitely give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever service it is that you listen. Thanks again, guys. I will see you next time.